Flower Games. I just finished filming a video about a game called Paint the Roses. So it's all over my desk right now. I'm going to clean up a little bit while I talk. I hope you are doing well and that you are having a great Wednesday so far. I'm excited today because I get to see my coworkers. We don't always see each other on a daily basis or even a weekly basis, but um, my coworker Alex has a birthday coming up next week, and my newest coworker Dave has a birthday also coming up later next week. And so we're getting together today to do some playtesting and to celebrate their birthdays with a, a birthday lunch and some treats. So I'm excited to see them all uh, about an hour after we're done with this live cast. I hope you're doing well and that you are enjoying whatever your work life brings you today or your home life. And I am just packing up this beautiful game, Paint the Roses, here. Yeah, I played this cooperative game last night um, and, and really had a lot of fun with it. This was uh, a game that I played with um, Susanna. Susanna owns it, my coworker Susanna, and uh, my friend Adam. We barely lost. There was a lot of tension right at the end, and we didn't, we didn't pull off the victory. But we had fun along the way. Uh, Tony, Chris, good morning. I hope you're doing well today. Chocolate of the day. What, what, is, uh, what are you all indulging in today? What is your treat of the day? Um, I actually got a, a, a very nice package yesterday from Megan's parents. They sent us some chocolate from Andre's Chocolate in Kansas City. And it looks like a really delicious box, box of chocolate. It's right off screen over here. But um, yeah, that looks really, really tasty. I'm looking forward to digging that in, digging into that later today. And uh, yeah, that's probably my, my main treat of the day today. We have a lot of chocolate in the house, I feel like, right now. So I'm trying to space it out a little bit and not, not eat too much of it all at once, but it is really tempting to eat because it's, I love chocolate. George Nathan, thanks for popping in today. Hope you're doing well. Um, yeah, so I played Paint the Roses last night at game night. I also played Space Base at game night. And um, played last week at game night, played a few short games. We played a game called Nana, which is kind of like a modern version of memory. Um, we played a, base, a game called Boast or Nothing. Another short trick-taking game. Deep Sea Adventure, another little short push-your-luck game. And also, I played Modern Art for the first time. A classic auction game that I just have never played for some reason. And I uh, had a lot of fun with that. One of the artists in particular, I really, really liked the art in the game for Modern Art. Megan and I also played a second session of Lands of Galazir this past weekend. And had fun doing that. Second section seemed to move a lot faster than the first section. Although it still took around two hours. I wouldn't mind, I really love the game. I wouldn't mind getting it down to about an hour for play. I don't know exactly what we're doing that's uh, making it take a little bit longer than it should. Because uh, we're only playing two players. Um, oh, here's Michael. Michael said he got to play Atiwa. That's one that I've been really curious to play. He says it was good. He wants to play again. For some reason, I really like the look of the 3x3 three three grids that you get in Atiwa. Um, I don't know what it is, but aesthetically, it makes me really want to play that game. Pre-Games is joining the first his first live view for the year. Happy New Year to you, too. Uh, George says, is Modern Art by Reiner Knizia? Yes, it is. It is. It's one of his classic games. I played the recent Simon uh, uh, version of it. And it's uh, it, the, the core construct of the game is that when you are the auctioneer, you get to choose the type of auction uh, that you are running based on the card that you choose from hand. So you're choosing a painting from hand. You're putting it on the table and saying, this is up for auction. And based on the icon on the card, that's the type of auction that will be run for the round. And you're trying to maximize that auction because if someone else buys that painting instead of you, you get all the money. Um, at the same time, you're a little bit tempted to buy it yourself because the money doesn't go to another player if you are the auctioneer and you, uh, and you buy your own painting. So really, really cool game. Sarah says that her kids are love playing lands of, uh, loving playing Lands of Galazir together too. That's awesome. That, that kids, I could totally see kids having fun with that game as well. Um, 
it's it's this game the gameplay itself is very streamlined um so i think it's accessible for anyone but it's also as an adult i'm having a lot of fun with it as, as well george says he's played he played more john company recently he says it's quite the experience how long are your games of that running george i have a friend who really wants to play it but he is uh or maybe it's more that we are wary of the the running time of the game on the box because it, it says uh it can range from like 60 minutes to 360 minutes, something like that. So essentially six and a full hour per player, which is uh, which is a lot. Uh, Rick is joining us. Good morning, Rick. Uh, yes, yeah, so those are all the games that I've played recently. Let me know if you've played anything else really fun recently. Um, I did a video that actually my, my top 10 list for 2020 games released and that were widely available in 2020. I did that video this past weekend. I don't want to spoil that for you if you want to watch it, but that video is available. And on Monday, what was Monday's video? Or Tuesday's. Tuesday's video was about Creature Comforts. Finally got to play Creature Comforts. A lot of you recommended that. I'm so glad that I got a copy of that and got that to the table. And on Friday, I talked about the new game Bullet, specifically Bullet Heart. A really interesting puzzle game that I have so far only played competitively, but I've really enjoyed my plays of that so far as well. Um... I think those were the main videos. Oh, and my uh, my blogs are wrote yesterday. So uh, we have the third printing of the nesting box is available for pre-order right now. I think I talked about that a little bit last week. That pre-order is available now. It's a little bit of an experiment for us to do a pre-order before we actually start production for a product, but uh, we're giving that a try to see how it goes. And uh, we also my blog post from last thir uh, from, yeah last Thursday was about um, Instagram and looking at the Instagram strategies for different publishers at different scales. And uh, it was, it's very interesting to look at that list. I don't know if you can have checked out the list. It's on, on uh, last Thursday's post. But there are some like very big name publishers that have very big Instagram presences. And there are also some very big publishers that have a very small Instagram presence. And there are even a few smaller publishers that have a very big Instagram presence. So it's just interesting to see like what people have done, how they prioritize that. Not to say Instagram isn't necessary for any any publisher to have a presence there, but uh, for those who have prioritized it, see how they um, the methods that they've used that have worked that have resonated with people that have engaged their audience really really well. Uh, uh, Julie says that she went to pieces in St. Louis this weekend. That's awesome and learned three new to us games. She mentioned photosynthesis, Targi, and Libertalia. Libertalia. She said, we enjoyed all of them and felt like each one would have a lot of replayability. Yesterday, I played Acropolis and liked how tile placement works both upward and outward. That reminds me of uh, Llama Land, which we just talked about recently, how you can build up or build out in that. I've seen Acropolis pop up on a lot of top 10 lists for 2022, so I need to give that one a try. And Corey from Blue Falcon Board Gaming popped in to say hi as well. He says, two more weeks, weeks of training craziness. Corey's had a busy start to the year so far. And Michael says that he played Wingspan Asia recently, and his wife enjoyed it. I'm glad to hear that, Michael. Pre-game says he taught Tapestry twice last week. Thank you so much for teaching, teaching the game to other people. I really appreciate that. He said, aside from Board Game Geek, where can we find the latest updates for it? Um, it's on our website. Check out the Tapestry page of our website, and you can see the latest Civ adjustments there. And those are kind of the officially posted, easy-to-implement Civ adjustments. On Board Game Geek, there's a, a running list, and this, I think... Is also linked on our website somewhere. Let's see where it's linked. Um, it's the the more complex sieve adjustments, the ones that we are working towards reprinting many of the sieves with these adjustments. Let's see where they are. Um, FAQ. 
Yeah, so there's it's a on the website on rules translations and FAQ. It says you can see an ongoing discussion about Civ adjustments here. If you click there, you can then see a Google Doc where where the current adjustments are listed. So one extra one more click than you probably need, but it takes you through to that to that discussion as well. It's a long thread, uh, and you don't need to read the whole thread. You can just check out the the Google Doc. Uh, David says that John Company is going to be four to five hours. That is a, a long game. Longer than most games that I all ever play. Nathan says that he also enjoys creature comforts. George says the learn and teach of John Company is quite a challenge. And the first game take, can take up to four hours or more. But after that, the next scenario's games will be much shorter. Okay. And things will go smoother. But it creates some tense moments with the right group, of course, due to the harsh negotiation aspect that it has. Interesting. I need to maybe at least watch a video about it and learn a little bit more about the game because um, I have heard good things about it. Sorry, Facebook keeps scrolling. Facebook does this weird scrolling thing where it scrolls back up to the top after I read a comment or even sometimes in the middle of reading a comment. So let's see if I can find Marlene was next. She said, we bought My Little Scythe when it was on sale this weekend and now we own every single Stonemaier game. Not fans at all, as you can see. <laughs> Thank you for doing that, Marlene. That's, uh, that's very kind of you to, to try to complete your Stonemaier collection. And I, I hope you're enjoying most of those games. I, I know that not all of our games are for everyone, and that's okay. But I think it's fun when, when people you, like you uh, give each game a try. I really do appreciate that. Chris says he got to play a few rounds of Dune Imperium solo when he was at his parents' house when he was visiting them over Christmas. Now I know why people like the game so much. Yeah, I almost brought it to game night last night. I picked another game by that same designer, Clint Catacombs, to bring to game night instead. Um, and I didn't get to play it, but some other people got to play it. But uh, yeah, Dune Imperium. It's a game that I very much love. I'm glad you get to play it. Um, Carl says he's been playing Wingspan and Marvel United. He says, question, Tickets Ride and Pandemic both have s slimmed down faster versions of their games. Is this something Stonemaier Games is interested in? I'd love a small, fast version of Wingspan. Um, I'd love a game that I can play at lunch with a friend. I think that... I I don't want to rule out the possibility. It isn't something that we're actively working on for, for most of our games um, or any of our games at this time, like a streamlined version of a game. Uh, because I, I think oftentimes that can cut out some of the really, really good stuff that makes the games interesting and good in the first place. Um, we did experiment a little bit with Wingspan Asia. So Wingspan Asia is, you know, a two-player dueling game of Wingspan, but it is essentially still Wingspan. You're still playing Wingspan. It still can take uh, quite a bit of time. Although two players, if you know what you're doing, you can play Wingspan in an hour, maybe even less. Um, a recent example of a company that I thought did this really well was the company that took Terra Mystica, Forland. They took Terra Mystica and they turned it into Terra Nova, which is a streamlined version of the game that retains what I think is are, are many of the core aspects that make Terra Mystica fun, while also speeding up the game and making it easier to teach. But it's still a 90-minute game, maybe 60 minutes, but probably 90 minutes when you play Terra Nova. Um, so I think that's, I mean, that's part of the challenge. Most of our games run over an hour, and so distilling them down would still probably have them run close to an hour. Uh, making it, turning the game into a lunchtime version of the game and still retaining what makes it good, I think would be pretty difficult. But it's, I'm glad, I appreciate their feedback, that input, and um, it's certainly something I'll keep in mind. George says, did I like RRR? Yeah, so I finally hit many of, of you and some people who read my personal blog, jamiestigmeyer.com, recommended a movie, a Bollywood movie that came to Netflix called RRR. It's a big action flick with a historical context um, and uh, it partially about friendship or a lot about friendship and big over-the-top action scenes. And I did watch it. I did enjoy it. I had 
Uh, one little thing that I, that I thought was a little odd, uh, it has music that tells you what you're watching at that moment. And so I would recommend just watching the dubbed English version so you don't have to see the subtitles that are describing what you're watching at that moment. But other than that, I really did enjoy the movie. Um, we ordered into Indian food and sat down for this three-hour movie and had a lot of fun watching it. So I appreciate those of you who recommended RRR. We also watched a movie called The Menu over the weekend, which is a very dark comedy that I thought balanced the darkness with the comedy pretty well and some thought-provoking aspects as well. Um, I would say it's close to the horror genre, but not so far into the horror genre that it would be something that I wouldn't get into because I typically don't gravitate towards horror movies, but very dark. Um, and if you know what you're getting into, I would, I would recommend it. Dan is joining us today. He says, have you played the new Dune Imperium yet? He says, I tried last night and loved it, maybe even more than Rise of Dix. I have not played the new expansion for Dune Imperium yet, but now I'm even more curious about it. Um, I've heard great things about it. Yeah, it looks really cool. And I like the, I like any tech track in a game. I like to look at the tech track in that expansion. TJ says, have I gotten the chance to check out War of the Ring, the trading card game, or the, the card game? I think it's, it's not a, well, it might be a trading card game. I thought that the new War of the Ring game was just a, a card game, um, but I've not played it yet. Maybe, maybe it is the, the TCG. I usually see TCG and think uh, trading card game, but I think you're just saying the card game, whatever it is. I know what you're talking about. I've not played it yet, but I'm planning to hopefully play it with my friend and coworker, Alex and his wife in the near future and Megan as well. So we're trying to find a date that we can get together and play it because um, they have it. They enjoy it. We're just trying to yeah, find the right date. David explains more about John Company here. He says, John Company is a procedural game where you and other uh, you and the other players are running a company, but also looking out for yourselves. Everything is negotiated as each office needs to be assigned and has their own individual decisions. You are trying to make sure the company does not fail, but that you are also furthering your personal interest at the same time. I love that concept. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really cool concept. Nathan says, My Little Everdell is a great example of an express version of the game. Slimmed down and a few mechanisms reduced, but still retains the feel of the full game. That's a great point, Nathan. I haven't actually played that one yet, but I've heard good things. And I, I should probably research that a little bit more to see what they did with it. And the one, the one example that we do have in our lineup is My Little Scythe. My Little Scythe is a slimmed down, faster, much faster version of Scythe. Um, you can play it in probably 30 minutes if you know what you're doing. Uh, it, it, it's very, very quick. But still retains a lot of the... the things that make size feel really, really good. Um, so yeah, that, that is one that we have in our lineup if you wanna give that a try. Smitten plays fast. Smitten is definitely a lunchtime game from us. Between Two Cities is fast. Um, those are probably the fastest games that we have. Red Rising and Libertalia can be pretty fast at two player. I would say they'd be pretty fast at two player. Um, yeah, what else is going on today? Like I said, I'm, I'm, I get to hang out today at lunch with my coworkers, Susanna, Alex, and Dave are coming over for some playtesting. Um, and uh, we're also going to have lunch to celebrate the birthdays of Alex and Dave. And also tomorrow, I don't know if I'll make a big deal about this, but I'll mention it to you. Tomorrow is the day that I was adopted. Um, I was adopted when I was just a few days old as a baby. And it's a day that I really love to celebrate. I think it was a very loving gesture of my biological mom to find a family for me and that my, my parents chose to adopt me. So it's a day that, that I hold very close to my heart, um, even more than my birthday. So tomorrow I'm celebrating my adoption day. And I also try to use that day to, to celebrate anyone who has chosen to adopt a child or even a pet. We do adopt the pets into our lives or anyone who is also adopted. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Chris says he's loving the, the 
uh, the champion shirt that I'm wearing. Thanks, thanks, Chris. George says, when's the next Rolling Realms session? The previous one was intense. It was intense. Um, it'll either be next week or the following week. I, I've been doing every other week, but every now and then, depending on what's going on on any given week, I might, I might bump it back a week. So probably next week, but maybe the next week instead. Nathan says that My Little Side is awesome, awesome with kids, but equally fun with adults. It's a great distillation of the mechanisms. I totally agree. I'm really impressed with, with what Hobie did with it um, because it isn't just a rehash of Scythe in a quicker form. He introduces some really fun mechanisms to the game that feel like Scythe, but are still very much their own thing, and they play very fast. David says that Distilled from Paverson Games is currently on the water heading to Fulfillment Centers. Just wondering if you backed it. I can't remember if I backed it. Um, I remember seeing the designer or at, uh, at Design Day. He came to Design Day a couple years ago when he was working on the game. So I've met the designer. I've talked to him. Um, I, don't, I don't remember if I backed it or not. I, we'll, we'll see. I, I, don't, I tend to not follow project updates very much after the project is live. I kind of just let the game show up magically at my door. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. Julie and Sarah wish me a happy adoption day. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Special day to me for sure. Um, Euphoria also has an anniversary. One day later on Friday, Euphoria was released in 2014, roughly on January 13th. And so uh, we celebrate the anniversaries of our games um, as, as we do. I don't have anything big to announce for Euphoria at that time, other than the fact that it has persisted over the years. Um, I know people are asking us to, or some people have asked us to reprint the expansion, and I really do hope to do that. But so far on the back and stock form, there isn't really an indication of enough demand to reprint the expansion. I hope to do it, but just not quite, not quite there yet. So if you like Euphoria and you want the expansion, make sure to put your information on the back and stock form on our website so that we know uh, that you're interested in that. And that goes for any of our products as well. We really do use that form to decide if we've reached a tipping point of interest in a product. An example of this is what I mentioned in Monday's post in regards to um, the third printing of the nesting box. It was likely we were gonna do that anyway. We had what we thought was enough anecdotal evidence to indicate that we should do a third printing. Um, but uh, example of, of, the, of the data that comes through is that we had around 5,300 people who indicated on the back and stock forum that they wanted to buy the third printing of the nesting box. However, as of the writing of, uh, as of the, uh, as of Monday, um, only, and this is still a big number, but only around 2,100 people had actually ordered it. So it's, that's an example of how, like, when we see that data from the back and stock form, we have to essentially have it and say, okay, this is the number of people who are actually going to order it, even though they indicated their interest on the back and stock form. Um, just, I, I think it's interesting to see how that data actually translates. When we're gauging interest in a product, when we have back in stock in, uh, data, uh, that all goes to inform the size of our print runs. Um, but at the same time, that's why sometimes we are a little bit wary about overprinting or printing exactly to that number, because that number might actually be much less when people actually, it, when, it come, when the time comes to actually give us money, that could be very different than the numbers that we have on these forms. Jody says that uh, they adopted their son and he has an open adoption with his bio, uh, biological parents and siblings who are also adopted uh, into other families. That's wonderful, Jody. I, I think that's really, really special. Um, my parents were, were very open from a very young age. Like we never, I don't even remember like a sit down chat that we had to, when they revealed that I was adopted. It was just part of the conversation from when I was, when I was an infant. So I, I really love how uh, 
there was no stigma around it. It was just a, a normal thing. They, they chose to bring me into their family, just as most people choose to bring uh, kids biologically into their family. And I, I think that was a really special way to do that. And so I love, Jody, the, what I'm echoing here is how it sounds like you're very open with your son about the fact that he was adoption. And uh, you, uh, I think that's wonderful. I think that really, really is wonderful. Marlene says that she just learned the euphoria over the weekend and enjoyed it a lot. Uh, we added our email for the expansion. So thank you, Marlene. Thank you for doing that for the back end stuff form. Zach says, I think the Red Rising game is uh, game time is highly dependent on how quickly the players try to end the game. Definitely true. That, that is definitely in the player control. He says, I've had games that are short, like you said, but I've also had some pretty long games where my spouse and I were more focused on trying to increase and better our hand versus end game triggers. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely in control of the players how fast that game can go. Mark says he's watching for the Philippines today. He says, I love Libertalia Winds of Gilcrest. Thank you, Mark, for saying that. I'm glad you enjoy it. He says, will there be an expansion soon? Um, we are working on something for Libertalia. Uh, soon is, is not a, a word that I could use in regards to it, but we're working on something for Libertalia that hopefully, hopefully will exist in the future. But I would not say it's even at the stage that I can say for sure that it will exist. It's just something that, that may exist in the future. We'll see. Um, fortunately, I think there's a lot of replayability in the game because we essentially took the original game, redesigned some aspects of it, and added what is effectively an expansion to it, like 10 new characters, the loot tiles, all that stuff. So for, fortunately, in Libertarian Winds of Gilcrest, there's a ton of replayability out of that box, and um, I look forward to the opportunity someday of maybe adding more to that game. Depends largely on the designer, Palomori. Well, I'm out of topics today, so I am going to lean on you all for the rest of this conversation. I've talked about the games that I played recently, um, my post about the nesting box, post about Instagram publishers on Instagram. Are there any publishers that you follow on Instagram that, that you get excited when they post something new on Instagram? And what is it about what they post that you get excited about? Uh, like, is it, is it when they reveal new information about their games? Is it when they share their love for games that they don't even publish? Is it when you see the personal side of these publishers, the people behind these companies and these games, um, when you get to see sneak peeks behind the process, when they share uh, pro photos of prototypes, things like that. Let me know what excites you on Instagram in particular or social media in terms of uh, you following publishers specifically. Curious about that. Marlene says, this might be better as a blog post. That's totally fine. Let's see what your idea is here. Um, but I would love to know more about what about how you stay gracious and uplifting when facing grumpy people or even just the same question repeated for the nth time. Um, are there any habits you have developed around that? Have you always had this tendency towards creating good communication? Were there, uh, were there any memorable times when you learned better ways to do things uh, that, that might bring up bad memories? Sometimes we learn the best lessons during the hardest times. Absolutely. Um, this is a good topic, Marlene. I'll, I'll, I'm happy to answer it off the cuff, but, uh, but this will stay on my mind and maybe I'll, I can do a blog post about it. I, I want to do a blog post actually in the near future about what happens, um, how to respond when, when there is a kind of a wave, an upswell of toxicity targeted towards you. Whether it's justified or not, uh, if it feels toxic, how to, how to deal with that as a publisher, designer, content creator. Um, I've had some experience with that too. As for staying positive and uplifting, trying to uplift, and this really this is something that I do not always accomplish, but it is always my goal. Um, and the real the, the motivation for it, but the, the reason behind it is that that's 
the type of content I like to see from other people. I like to see other people lift up other people. Um, I, I, I like to see healthy challenges too. I like to see people challenge each other in healthy ways, but the healthy part of it, I think is really, really important. Um, especially I think when you can sense that someone's intentions are good, and I know that's very subjective, but, uh, and I, I think there is the concept that intentions don't matter, but I, I think when, when I see that someone is trying to do something good, but maybe not in the right way, the way that I might respond to that is probably going to be different than I, if I see someone who is just tearing someone down for reasons for, I don't know, for, for their own insecurities, for whatever reasons. I'm already rambling here. This is a big topic. But um, when people ask questions repeatedly, that generally does not get under under my skin at all. I, I'm, I'm happy to, and I, I get the people tune in at different times to live cast. They tune into conversations for different ways. They discover games and publishers at different times. I want people to feel like they can discover Viticulture, our oldest game. I want to feel like they can discover it today and still be excited about it and still be treated the same as someone who discovered Viticulture 10 years ago. Um, Marlene asked about any habits that I've developed around that. Uh, it's a lot of it is checks and balances because I'm, I'm still, I'm very, very human in, in that if, if, the, if I receive like a very unhealthy challenge or even a healthy challenge, sometimes my instinct can be to get defensive. And so I have to try to check and balance myself when I, when I feel like that's my instinct, when that's about to happen and, uh, and be aware of how I am wanting to respond or my instinctual response and check that a little bit and, res and remember that I'm talking to another human being. And, uh, and that I want to treat them with respect and, dignity and, and, and dignity and hopefully have a joyful conclusion to the conversation. Um, Marlene says, have I always had this tendency towards creating good communication? I don't think I have. No, I don't think I've ever, um, by default been a negative person or someone who wants to drag other people down, but I have, uh, I, I think my styles of communication have changed significantly over the years. And it's really helped that I've had a personal blog for a long, long time. Um, there are good, there are certainly pros and cons to that. If you go back and look at my personal blog from 15 years ago, there's a lot of juvenile humor in it. There's stuff that I don't love that's there. I've deleted some old posts that I just don't feel good about. But at the same time, along the way, I was learning how to communicate to other people through my writing and through the comments. So it's been kind of a long work in progress of communicating with other people online in particular. Um, and Marlene also asked, oh, have there been memorable times when you learned better ways to do things? Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Many, many times. I, I mean, I've learned a lot from, from my, my mistakes along the way through how I communicate with people, how I try to uplift people and bring joy to people. Um, part of it is there have been a few times over the years at Stomar Games that I've written a blog post that uh, maybe didn't come from the right place or maybe it came from the, a, a decent place, but it ended up, um, instead of elevating someone, it might, might have brought down a, a person or a company. And those posts, as rare as they are, have really never sat well with me. And I, I kind of, after I posted them, I kind of knew like this doesn't feel like me. It doesn't, like maybe it felt like the mood that I was in when I wrote this post, but it doesn't feel like me in general. And so I, I've tried to stay very attuned to what feels right um, and what has sat well with me and what has kept me up at night and, and tried to 
focus on the things that feel right and not the things that keep me up at night. So I'm sure we've all had, so I'm sure we've all had moments and conversations with people that we go back on and we're like, oh, I, I wish I had said that differently. I wish I had, like, that isn't, that isn't who I want to be in this conversation. And yet I said this thing, or I did this thing that, that isn't me. Um, and I think it's by reflecting on those things and being introspective about them, at least from my experience, that I get to learn from them and hopefully not repeat them in the future and learn more and more about who I want to be and who I really am uh, around people. Long rambling answer. Great question there. I will, I will try to see if there's a blog post around that topic that I can, uh, that I can come up with, but a lot of it is me just stumbling and learning along the way. Yeah. Tony says Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum quantum mania trailer. Am I excited? I typically don't watch trailers for movies that I already know I'm going to see. And so I haven't watched this trailer, but I am very excited about the movie. Comes out, I think, in late February, maybe. Marlene says, also for topics, the standbys are good. How are, you, how are the cats? Chocolate, how are your pipes fixed? Are your pipes fixed? Chocolate is good. Got some chocolate from, from Kansas City um, in the mail last night that I'm looking forward to trying. Uh, the cats are doing well. I think they're both cuddling up on the bed right now. and Or not cuddling. They're both on the bed. They don't cuddle with each other. And the pipes are completely fixed. Are, or at least Megan's bathroom is still completely torn up. The walls are completely torn up, but we have a plan in place for replacing the drywall and getting it back to a, uh, a suitable bathroom for Megan to use. She's been a real trooper throughout this process. David says, curious if you've tried Blood on the Clock Tower and your thoughts in general about those types of hidden role games. I have played it. I have a video about, about I think maybe my first or second experience with the game. I played it a few times on Discord and I played it once in person. And I think it is a really cleverly designed hidden role game. But I think my personal preference for hidden role games is that they are fast. Uh, I... If they last longer than 20 minutes, they're probably overstaying their welcome for me. And I think a big part of that is I don't like lying to other people, especially not my friends. And in those games, you really, most of them, you have to embrace the lie. You have to be lying about something. Or you have to be accusatory about something, which I also don't like doing with my friends. So um, I think my favorite so far is still Avalon. I like the, the kind of Camelot theme. And I like the, the various abilities, and I like that it's fast. But I also uh, appreciated the, the level of theme that Blood on the Clock Tower brings to the table. And I think the idea of actually getting up from the table and moving around and talking to people separately, I think, is a, a really neat concept in, in games. I think my first exposure to that was Two Rooms and a Boom, um, and then most recently Blood on the Clock Tower. Nathan says, what do you do to restart your motivation when progress stalls on your designs? He says, my big design is so slow going on the progress that it's hard to stay motivated and I find myself focusing on side projects. I think that's, I mean, you've partially answered what I would say, Nathan. I think uh, you've heard me talk about this in the past that I like to have two projects going at any given time so that I, I, give, I can give myself permission to take a break from the thing that maybe I'm not excited about or that I've hit some roadblocks for, for that moment and focus on something else. Get that kind of take up just move the, my creative brain over to something else for a little bit and give it time to process in the background some of that stuff that I'm stumbling upon and time to get more excited about returning to the other, the other projects. So I think it's great. I think it's good that you have those other side projects. I think that can really help. Um, when progress really stalls on my designs, sometimes I really just take a full break from them. Um, yeah, it's often the breaks. I, I wouldn't say, sometimes I, I do push, I just, I push and push and push. 
but that can definitely burn me out too when I'm doing that, when I, when I just push onto another prototype, push through another round of iterations. Um, one thing I sometimes also do is play some games, like play or yeah, often, oftentimes it's, I'll, I'll say, okay, here's a game that does the thing that I'm trying to do in my game and it does it really well. Let me play this game and again, learn from it, refresh my memory of how much I enjoy this game, what it is about this game or this mechanism or this theme that I really love and try to bring part of those, that influence back to my game as well. So I hope Nathan, you're giving yourself permission to play some, some similar games along the way that can, I think that can really help at times. Carlos says, you mentioned that after Charterstone, you were trying to push yourself to design games outside worker placement. Do you think worker placement has reached a peak in the, in the industry or, or that there might be new ways to use it that would push you to maybe design a new game with that mechanism? At least a new Euphoria expansion would be nice since we love it so much. I don't think a new Euphoria expansion is, is likely, but um, one, of the, like, one of the main reasons I, put, I try to push myself outside of worker placement is that I designed Viticulture, then I designed Euphoria, then I designed Charterstone. Those were three out of the four first uh, games that I published, Scythe being the other one. Um, that, I, that I was the designer of. And so I kind of realized I am only designing worker placement games. I love this mechanism. I get excited about worker placement games, but I want to try new things. I want to be more than just a worker placer, placement designer. I don't think that's indicative of the place that worker placement has in, in the industry right now. I think there's still plenty of innovation to be had with that mechanism. Um, but I just wanted to stretch myself a little bit. And I, I really do hope someday to return the, to, to that mechanism. It's been years now since I've designed a worker placement game and it would be a lot of fun to return to it. So um, I, I think I will return to it someday, but uh, it's been a while. Yeah, and I think the break from it has been good. Julie says, we've played Wingspan, Viticulture, Scythe, Libertalia, and Smitten. Which Stillmeyer game should we play next that works well at two players and, and can be played at 90 minutes or under? So given that you've played those games, I'll, I'll assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, Julie, that you enjoyed those games. You've got engine building and wingspan, um, engine building worker placement in Viticulture. Scythe has uh, a little bit of exploration, a lot of engine building, a little bit of conflict. Libertalia has indirect conflict. Smitten is cooperative. Hmm. Which Stillmark game should we play next that works well at two players? We played. So I love Tapestry. I really love Tapestry, but Tapestry is going to push that 90 minute limit. Um, with two players, you could probably get it lower, but, uh, but it, it might push it at times. So, hmm. So what's our next best game at two players in particular that I would say for that? Uh, Euphoria, I like it two players, but I think Euphoria scales a little bit better at higher player counts because you have more bumping in Euphoria at higher player counts. Same with Charterstone. There's more bumping at higher player counts. Although all these games were designed and heavily playtested for two players. So I think they would work just fine at two players. Um, there's also Between Two Cities and Between Two Castles, both of which have two player variants. So they aren't exactly designed for two players, but they do work well at two players. My Little Scythe plays very quickly. If you enjoy Scythe and you want like a really fast version of it that still has its own identity, I would recommend My Little Scythe. There's also Pendulum. Pendulum definitely is not for anyone because it has a real-time element to it. It has a simultaneous element to it, but uh, it has a really nice engine building and a really clever worker placement mechanism to it, and it plays fast. It is a fast game. So 
there's that. Oh, and Rolling Realms. I didn't even notice that Rolling Realms wasn't on your list. And Red Rising. Uh, Rolling Realms and Red Rising, I would recommend giving it a try. Especially if you like all those other games from some of our games. Rolling Realms is the cheapest of our games, um, other than Smitten, for you to get to try. And it has little mini games from a lot of our games. I'd say, I put, I'd say Rolling Realms, Julie. And that way you can, you can join me with my, my live plays sometimes, or, or the, the videos on YouTube that I put up there. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say Rolling Realms, and then Red Rising, and then Pendulum. George said the publisher of the upcoming Andromeda's Edge did something cool for two months now. They have made some interesting puzzles for backers to solve. One, one in each 15 to 20 day interval. Interval. This keeps you quite engaged with them and the product. That is really cool. I'll have to check out some of the puzzles that they posted about that game. Um, I like the idea of announcing something, but not maybe having the full reveal, but having a reason to pay attention along the way as they reveal more information about the game. Wayne says, any thoughts on the newly proposed Wizards of the Coast open game gaming license and what it might do to the, the third-party industry? I remember reading something about this, Wayne. I don't know a lot about it, so feel free to let me know the core details. Um, I think it involved people paying a royalty to Wizards of the Coast based on the stuff that they published, specifically with Dungeons & Dragons. Let me know if that is accurate. Um... At the same time, I think it was for a huge threshold. Like if you're earning over, I don't know if it was a million dollars or $500,000. It was a lot of money. If you're earning a lot of money for, uh, for, their, their, uh, for licensed content, then you have to start to pay Wizards of the Coast. And I think that was, if they're going to do it, I think that's a good move because it still enables a lot of people who, pay, who, who don't earn that much from their, I don't know, their, their uh, running a D&D campaign online uh, for other people. Uh, that it's not going to impact them, or most of them at least. Um, but you also probably maybe know a little bit about our third-party stance, and we, we love to see third-party creators create cool stuff for our game that doesn't replace the gameplay content, but maybe augments it, enhances it, like a, like a nicer version of a, a token, something like that. Um, we'd love to see that. We have an official agreement that we have with anyone who, or we like to have this agreement, if someone has reached out to us and said, hey, can I make this thing for your game? The third party agreement basically says, sure, you can do it. You can't use our artwork or our icons, or our trademarks. You can't move that, use that and you can't replace the gameplay content. But um, but yeah, you can do your own thing. You can have fun with it. You can sell it. There's no royalty and um, just don't. And also be clear that it is not an official Stillmire Games thing that you're making. Don't, um, don't falsely represent that. So that is the method that I like for third-party industry. At the same time, a lot of that is much lower scale than Wizards of the Coast. Like they are they are a big company. We're talking about a lot of money here. And um, hopefully they can find the right balance between respecting people who are creating joy for for their, their brands among fans of those brands while also not having people replace the content that they're trying to sell. I think that's the key part of it. Carol's popping in today. She says, how is the open world game going? She says she's still excited for that idea. Have you played any games recently that have inspired you or sparked new ideas for what can work or what doesn't work in that genre in general? Yeah, this is one of the advantages of taking, what, six years now to design this game. Um, I have learned a lot along the way from other open world games, both tabletop games and video games. Most recently, Lands of Galzir had a very specific mechanism that I think will be very helpful for the game that I'm that I'm working on. Uh, the design is going really well. I finally finished the world itself and now i am moving on to uh some next steps i don't want to quite go into what those next steps are but the world itself is massive it's a giant world 
and it just wanted to probably not the best way to design a game to design the world first and then design the mechanisms but i've been thinking about the mechanisms and doing kind of light test on them um conceptually along the way and now i get to apply those mechanisms to this this big world that i've created julie says what do you typically learn about uh, where do you typically learn about new chocolate brands and bars to try that's a good question, Julie. I kind of wish there was, you know, in fact, I'm sure there is a like chocolate bar subscription service that, that sends you a few new chocolate bars every month. Um, I usually just see them at grocery stores. I, I, I go to a few different grocery stores or I see someone, someone mentions a new chocolate bar that they tried, but there are so many different chocolate companies. It's hard to, uh, it would be very difficult to discover all of them. So it's I have no formal process of doing so. It's just me kind of looking at different different chocolate bars and, and trying new things when I see new things. But also I do have some like definite favorites now, and so I tend to gravitate towards those favorites. Kenny says, any news on the third tapestry expansion? I'm hoping to do the reveal for that or start to do the reveal for the third tapestry expansion in mid-February. So that's that's what I've currently revealed about it. Uh, Julie says that uh, I'm right. Uh, Julie mentioned some games that she's played from Spire Games and asked for recommendation. And she said, we're thinking about starting Charterstone with the family at some point, hopefully in the near future. Thanks for the recommendations. Yeah, Charterstone, I think, can, can work really well for the family. If you're looking for a two-player specific game, it's fine, especially if you have a two-player partner that, that wants to play a campaign with you. Um, Charterstone can, can kind of fly by if you play that way. Take a little bit longer with more people. Marlene says, thanks for answering the question about interacting with difficult people. You're right, it's a large topic. Looking forward to reading or listening to more of your thoughts as you have and develop them. Um, she says, you have the, some of the same communication goals and ideals that I do, even though I'm not as in the public eye as you are. And she says, I totally fall flat a lot too. Yeah, I, it's that's one of those things. Like, as, try, try as we can um, to stay uh, respectful and joyful and try to love other people with the way, same way that we want to be loved. I'm going to fall flat at times. It's going to happen. Um, it's just, uh, I, I try to stay aware of that and try to try to do better, try to improve, try to get better, especially when I'm challenged. I think the toughest, time, toughest times are when I'm challenged. Um, uh, that's, uh, that's, those are the times that I still struggle with because I, I want people to challenge me. I want to be open to challenges and I want people to feel comfortable challenging me, particularly in healthy ways, but even not, and not everyone's going to challenge me in the way that I want to be challenged. That doesn't make their challenge any less useful, any less important, or any less valid, um, or any less at least worth considering. And so I, I really do try to stay open to that. Okay, Patrick clarified, oh, the number's much lower than I thought. He says, anyone who sells more than $75,000 worth of Wizards of the Coast-related products, I think it's still mostly related to D&D, &D, but it could be related to other products, must pay 25% royalties to Wizards of the Coast. That is a big royalty. Um, that's a huge royalty, uh, and seventy-five thousand dollars is not—it's uh, a lot of money, but it's also not that much money. I thought it was much higher. Uh, Trevor says, "Just played Wingspan for the first time. For the first time, Trevor, a lovely engine builder. Yeah, I'm glad you were open to trying it. Um, anyone is welcome to the Wingspan world world at any time. Did you? Was your first experience Wingspan Asia or Wingspan the core game?" George points out that Tapestry and Board Game Arena can be really fast. He says he's played a game in 12 minutes and 54 seconds in a two-player match. That is very fast, George. 
you know that game very well. I can see you really burning through that game. Marlene says, sounds like you're going the Tolkien route with your open world. Yes, that's a very gracious way of saying that I've spent six years designing a world and not a game. He says, uh, Marlene says, he, he, Tolkien, created the language and the world and then made up his stories. Yeah, it worked out for Tolkien. I hope it works out for this world. <laughs> Jaden says, licensing aside, if you could pick any three board games for the next Rolling Realms rollout, what three would you pick? Ooh, Jaden. Um... I mean, the next three that I pick would be the three that I'm going to reveal next. So I don't want to spoil that. We have we have a lot of Rolling Realms promos in the works. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to spoil anything by accident by saying the real answer to that. But I can say the most recent three that we released are these three. A Feast for Odin, Honey Buzz, and Smitten. And, uh, oh, no, maybe Micro Dojo might have been in the most recent batch. Yeah, I'm for, actually, no. That, yeah, the most recent batch was... This, these are the most recent batch. Architects of the West Kingdom, Micro Dojo, and Arc Nova. Um, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything by accident. So, great question, but I look forward to revealing. Okay, Patrick clarified. It's $750,000. That is a much different number than 75000 $75, So, he did say it's still 25% of qualifying profits over that amount. That's a really high royalty. It's also a really high threshold that I think very few creators will, will meet. I'm curious what percentage of creators in the Wizards of the Coast universe um, make more than $750,000. And is that per year or lifetime? Jaden, actually, why don't I turn the question back around to you about Rolling Realms? What one, two, or three games would you love to see in the Rolling Realms universe? Trevor says that he uh, core wingspan was the first his first exposure to wingspan. Okay, Wayne says $750,000 in the wording, but they can lower that at any time. And it also counts on what the total you make on Kickstarter on like, for example, Kickstarter, not the profit. Yeah, the revenue makes sense. We pay like, uh, royalties on revenue too. Um, profit. Yeah, you, you don't want to do royalties on profit because you can you can fudge the numbers too much. You can you can spend money if you want to reduce the profit and that hurts the person's um, royalty. I definitely like royalties based on revenue. He says, Wizards of the Coast can also revoke your, I think OGL is maybe online game license and they can own your work according to the new wording. Yeah, I don't love elements of this, but again, I think $750,000 is... is a lot of money. Oh, but it says in the wording they can lower that at any time, and it also counts on what the total you make on Kickstarter. Well, yeah, that is a little problematic that they can make it variable. That isn't exactly fair. Dustin says he's hoping for a teaser with that Rolling Realms question. We'll see. We'll, we'll get the teasers in the future. I don't even know the next release date for the next batch of Rolling Realms. We have them, but um, trying to pick the right timing because we have some other things coming up that uh, that. Yeah. You know, I don't want to have, I don't want to release promos at the same time as we are shining the spotlight on something else, basically. That's the best way I can put it. Kenny says, did you happen to back Robot Quest Arena on Kickstarter? They released an update regarding their master proofs, and it looks great. You know, I, I'm not even aware of Robot Quest Arena, Kenny, so I'll, I'll have to take a look at that. Jaden says that he enjoys Arc Nova, Micro Dojo, and Architects, and they're great. Thanks for saying that, that Jaden. Patrick says, uh, if you sign the agreement, Wizards of the Coast can also claim your material as their own. 
that's a little odd that they would that they would claim their material as their own. I'm sure that was a thing that that the lawyers put in there for for a reason for reasons. Carol says, has someone in your game group gotten Dune Imperium Immortality expansion yet? No, they, they haven't. I don't think I have access to that in the group. I don't have a copy of it either. Um, Carol says, I know you said you didn't need it yet, but I was curious if you were still going to try it soon. We might try it out this weekend. We're curious to hear your thoughts on it, Carol. Um, I, I don't have access to it yet. And like you alluded to here, I still feel like there's so much gameplay in Dune Imperium that, uh, that isn't having me feel the need for an expansion, but maybe at some point I'll play it just because I love the game so much and I, I'm curious about it. Saxon said, have you had, ever had an idea pop up relating to Scythe that makes you wish you hadn't confirmed that you're done with Scythe? I have not. No, no. Uh, Jaden says, Samurai, Suburbia, and Rogers of the Ganges. Okay, th these are Jaden's picks for what he would love to see in a rolling realm realm. Maybe games that Jaden loves and he just wants to see them ported over. Samurai, Suburbia, and Rajas of the Ganges. Yeah, great games there. I love Rajas in particular. Bride says, this goes out to anyone really. Um, the Circadians expansions are on Kickstarter now and he's looking into it. He's never played it. He's, he plays a lot solo and was curious if anyone has thoughts about it for solo and multiplayer. Yeah, this is for my friends Sam and Shem over at Garfield Games that I've been saying Garp Hill Games incorrectly this whole time. It's Garfield Games, apparently. Um, they have that game up on Kickstarter right now. Love to see them doing great things over at Garfield Games. Dustin says, super niche. Would you consider making Stonemaier mini erasers available for us for Ruling Realms? The included cloths are nice, but I love some mini erasers. Not easy to find, and we love upgrades from the included cloth cut. Cloth cuts. Yeah, this is maybe my one like small regret about Rolling Realms. So we focused a lot on finding a good marker, like a nice sizable marker, not those tiny little mini markers, not a marker that's too big, one that you can easily remove the top one that has plenty of ink on the inside. I love the markers. However, I really wish they were the types of markers that had the eraser built into the top. And we weren't able to get that at the time that we made these. So currently I had Panda looking into an, a version of this pen, maybe even making a version of this pen, especially making it, that has the eraser attached to it. Because I definitely think that's the better way to go. Um, makes it just easier to, to erase on an ongoing basis. So we're, we're working on that. Um, and I'll check in with Panda to see how, how that's going. Kenny says that a robot quest arena is a deck builder with the same concept as Clank. Oh, you already had me there. Where you're able to move a little robot around the arena and damage other robots for victory points. I don't know that that's exactly my, my gaming style of damaging other players, but um, there are exceptions to that. I, I enjoy the game Adrenaline, for example. That sounds a little bit similar. He says, I, I definitely recommend that you mention, check it out since you mentioned that you recently played Clank Catacombs. Yeah, and really, I do. I love Clank. I really, really love Clank. But I do like in Clank that I am not, I, there's tension for me to get to something before an opponent, but we are, I, I like that I'm not fighting the other players in Clank when I'm playing Clank. So, but I'll check it out. I appreciate the recommendation. Blake says, just catching us for a brief second, popping in. Blake, thanks for, for popping in to say hi. I hope you and Caleb are doing well. Um, Dustin says he would love a fine tip on those two if possible. I don't know if we can get more fine tip than we have. We have a pretty fine tip on the pen already, uh, but I can see if we can get more fine tip. I'll ask about that. Jaden says, was Rolling Realms a one-off or would you ever see somewhere doing another roll and write style game? We tend to hit different categories and not, not try to repeat all that often. I would say it's possible. I mean, may, maybe 
we could have a, a roll and write game in the future. Um, I would say it just isn't as much on our radar now that, that we have one in the works, and especially one that is ongoing and building upon itself on an ongoing basis, kind of in an expandable living card game style. Um, but it is possible. Uh, Lick says, have I played Clank Legacy yet? And if so, how is your experience with it? I love Clank Legacy. I have a couple of videos about it, or at least one video, maybe one also spoiler video. But it, it, yeah, it was one of my favorite legacy experiences. That comes from me saying that I already loved Clank and I already loved legacy games. To combine them together and to see some of the cool things they did with building the board itself um, in a way that was competitive, but also felt like I was collaborating with the other players. I had a blast with it. I, I had a lot of fun with uh, Clank Legacy. I'd highly recommend it if you're looking for a legacy game. And also, the, the campaign isn't that long, which I love about legacy games. My preferred style of legacy game is where the campaign is between like five and ten games or said in another way like five sessions if it is a really short game that you can play through multiple games in one session and clank legacy fits into that mold on the upper end it's around around 10 games john also asked about any new rolling realms promos we do have lots of new rolling realms promos promos the question is when do we release them and i don't currently know exactly when it will be um I don't know. I think it might be, it might be as a, as late as April at this point. But maybe I'll slip some in. In the meantime, we'll see about that. Frank is popping in today from the City of Games. He says, "Is there any one event, such as an influencer's tweet, news article, or covered somewhere outside of the immediate hobby space, that you notice had a large direct short-term boost on sales? Would love to see a top ten list sometime if it doesn't exist." Might be tough to do a top 10 list, Frank, because uh, there haven't been many of them like that um, that have had an immediate impact on sales. I think the biggest have come for Wingspan when there was a New York Times article about it, and then later there was a Slate article about it. When those two articles hit, we had a huge uptick in sales. I don't know if there's anything comparable. I mean, maybe during my Kickstarter days, there was something that, uh, that I could look back at, at it fine. I think there was a Kotaku article that was pretty big for Scythe at one point. Um, but not enough for a top 10 list, but yeah, the New York times slate and Kotaku, I think are the ones that came to mind as having a pretty big immediate uptick in sales for those games. Yeah. What about you, Frank? Have you ever seen that happen? Um, have you had that, that little boost it there? I do have an article from a while ago about Simon, um, Simon start. They, they attribute their earliest success to a single point of exposure. And I'm forgetting who it was at this point, but it was, I don't know if it's someone who would describe themselves as an influencer. I can't, I have to look at the article somewhere on my website about CMON where they had like one big moment and they, at least one person at CMON believes that that was the difference between them being a very small company and a very big company. when they got that one big moment of exposure. Um, and I wrote it as a little bit of a cautionary tale because I don't think anyone can count on that big moment of exposure. They often happen organically, but uh, but when they do happen, it can be a big deal. Uh, Jaden says, probably Wingspan being featured on Home and Garden. That was fun to see. Zach says, would you consider Rolling Realms to be a game that includes the dice game version of all your games, similar to Rogers of the, of the, of the Dice Charmers being a rolling right version of Rogers of the Genji's? In a way, kind of, yeah. I guess if anyone asks for us to make a dice version of one of our games, I can say, hey, we actually have it. It's already over here in Rolling Realms. 
YX says, are you a fan of board games based off of video games? And what is your favorite one? Personally, I'm not a fan. I don't think they translate well, especially action RPGs. I mean, it's a pretty broad category at this point. I do have a video about my favorite games based on intellectual properties. Let me see. I'll, I'll look that up really quick to see if there is a video game on that list. Intellectual. Let's see if we can find this video. My top 10 favorite IP games. Let's go through the list real quick. Okay, the top 10. Lords of Waterdeep, not based on a video game. Legendary Encounters Alien, based more on the movie than the video game. Mechs vs. Minions, there's one. Mechs vs. Minions is based on... I mean, it, it is not a translation of the video game. It's in the same world as a video game, uh, The League of Legends. Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, Mansions of Madness, uh, Villainous, Sherlock Holmes, Consultant Detective, Star Wars Rebellion, Love Letter, The Reckoner. So yeah, just one. Mechs vs. Minions would be my favorite game that is loosely based on a digital game. John says, I heard you mention that the Tapestry expansion will only have one print run. You may have misheard that, John. Uh, that, uh, that isn't, I, I don't put limits on print runs like that. Uh, I maybe said that we have a print run, we have a print run of the Tapestry expansion in the works, but um, yeah, I, that isn't something that I said. <laughs> like we, it, there's always the possibility, maybe I said it this way, there's always the possibility when we make something that that will be the last print run of the game. Like if we don't sell through it, if it sells really, really slowly, um, that is always a possibility, but it's never the goal. Like we spend so much time on our products, we always want to make more than one printing of a game. So um, definitely not set in stone at all because that, that that's not a thing. Okay, Frank says, I'll check out the Simon story. For me, there have been local UK things that have impacted sales, but nothing on the US scale yet, perhaps someday. I hope, certainly certainly hope so, Frank, for you. I want to see great things continue for you. You already have great things in the works. Um, Dustin says, we were extremely late to the side party and didn't discover it until mid-2021. It's looking, is it looking like there's Possible demand for a reprint of the legendary box. Yeah, we are start, actually starting production of a legendary, uh, not a revised, a, a reprint of the legendary box. And so that should be available later in this year. Few quick questions before I got to go. Uh, Blake says, can I briefly go into the game testing procedure and how your team determine the difficulty rating of each of the continents? Uh, we have a heck of a time with Asia, with Asia every time, whereas Oceania, for example, seems to be easier. This is largely based on the designers, what they thought was was easier or hard. Um, yeah, it was kind of their their instinct for each for each. Uh, continent of the game. Mark says, is 2023 the year where Euphoria Ignorance is Bliss expansion will have a new print run? We don't know. We're still waiting on uh, on that data from the back in stock form to indicate that there's enough interest to do it. Marlene's headed out for the day. Uh, and uh, Leek says, I'm, I'm continually impressed by how much you seem to accomplish. How do you structure your schedule to do everything? Writing blog posts, make videos, design games, interacting with the community, play games, and run a business. Is there anything you wish you had more time to do? I wish I had more time for game design. That's like oftentimes the, the last two hours of my day is when I get some time for game design. Um, check out the blog post, A, a Work Day in the Life of Jamie Stegmeyer. It's on the Summer Games blog, and that details like how I break down my day and I think it talks a little bit about how I break down my week as well. That might be a different post, but I talk about that. But I, yeah, I do have some structure to my day, but a lot of it is just like stuff happens and I deal with it on an ongoing basis. 
Okay, I should probably go because I have lunch incoming for my coworkers. I'm excited to see my coworkers today for some lunch and play testing. But thank you all for joining me for today. I really appreciate it. And if you have any other questions, feel free to post them in the comments or on the YouTube version of this video. Take care. Have a good one. I'll see you next week. Bye.